the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Several months ago, uh, my wife and I were gifted with an amazing opportunity to go and see the Grand Tetons in uh, Yellowstone National Park. Uh, the Grand Tetons, if you've never seen them, it's actually a long ridge of mountains with three peaks in the middle. They're kind of the iconic ones. And um, it kind of, it was one of many, many inspirations for why we talked about mountains as the metaphor for what I knew God wanted to say this time. Well, just east of Jerusalem, right across the Kidron Valley, there's a long, multi-peak limestone ridge known as the Mount of Olives. And like the Grand Tetons, it has three main peaks that are the kind of all, each one called the Mount of Olives, and especially the southern one. And on that slope is the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the remnants of the, the garden that Jesus prayed in. There's also a cemetery there. Um, I've heard there's a law there that nobody living in Jerusalem can be buried there. They have to be dead. I just wanted to make sure you guys were awake this morning. Okay, you're awake. Good. <clears throat> but seriously, uh, this, is, this, is, this is for real. That cemetery is a very big deal for, to be buried there. And actually, several of the prophets from the Old Testament, that's where their graves are. And the reason is because they believe that the Messiah is coming over the Mount of Olives. He's going to appear on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus Christ, of course, already fulfilled several of those prophecies, and there's one more left when he finally returns. Zechariah 14 talks about this as the day of the Lord. And I encourage you to read the entire chapter. Um, it's, all of these are written down in the study guide if you, if you want that. But take all the notes you want. Uh, that, that whole chapter is just an amazing prophecy. And as Christians, we understand that Jesus kind of fulfilled it even in the triumphal entry. We'll get to that in a second. But it, the final f- fulfillment of that is when he returns uh, as, after he comes back. See, all of the stuff that we've been looking at up to this point has pointed to Jesus. Everything that happened on every one of those mountains, it's not about mountains. It's not even about the specific truths that we looked at when we looked at those stories of what happened on mountains. It's all pointed to Jesus. And it's all pointing to what Jesus himself did and what he made possible for us to do as we get ready for his return. But this morning, one more time, we're going to go back in time. We're going to look at Jesus himself, and we're going to see some stuff. For example, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Anybody ever heard something that sounds like that in a story about Jesus? Every Palm Sunday, that's where that comes from. That's Jesus. This is one of the prophecies Jesus seems to have actually really worked hard on purpose to make sure he fulfilled. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us something along this line within just a couple words. As they came near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus' final approach to Jerusalem. If you remember last time we had the thing on Mount Tabor and how that kind of actually started in Caesarea Philippi. I hope this is familiar to at least most of you. So here's what's happening. They're on this fight. He knows exactly what's happening. But as they approached Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples out to get the donkey ready. 
So this story is kind of starting there. And then Luke actually gives us this detail. He says, as he was drawing near, that's drawing near to Jerusalem, the procession has actually started. The parade is starting. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's absolutely no doubt what Jesus is doing here. He is starting the descent from the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley, up the other side, up Mount Zion into Jerusalem. And he is declaring himself to be the Messiah. And so is everybody else. That's the whole point of this crazy parade, throwing stuff down for the donkey to walk on and waving and shouting and singing and bowing and the whole big thing that we talk about every Palm Sunday. It's saying, this is the guy. Listen. And you know what? That's still our job. We're here to prepare the way for the Lord. That phrase actually also threads its way throughout all the scriptures. Almost all the things God cares the most of, there's not, you don't find it just in one verse. You don't just see it some obscure idea somewhere. It threads its way all the way through. And that's one of them. The idea of preparing the way for him. And that is what our job is right now, just as it was for those people that day. We're here to proclaim Jesus Christ is the king. We're here to boldly, worshipfully say, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. This is the only one who can save us and invite people to live under his authority with us. Invite people to celebrate him with us. Invite people to join the parade. Invite people to see him for who he really is and be changed because of that, just like we are. That's who we are right now. That's what our job is right now. Well, Jesus finished the parade. The next thing on his agenda was cleansing the temple. And then he spent most of that week teaching there. But we know at least on one day when he left the temple, he went back up onto the Mount of Olives. Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That prophecy from Jesus himself was fulfilled in AD 70 within the lifetimes of most of the people who heard him say that. That's when that temple got destroyed. But our, continue, our story today continues. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus begins what is affectionately referred to by many people as the Olivet Discourse, which is a really fancy way of saying the things he said while sitting on the Mount of Olives. (laughs) And it's a prophecy about what to watch for. Jesus called it the beginnings of birth pangs. When you see this coming, you know my return is at hand. And actually the Braxton Hicks contraction started right away. Only, only a few people get that one, but that's okay. <laughs> there were hints. There were, hey, I think it might be time. Every sense Jesus said it the first time. 
But I don't think we have to squint at all these days to look around and see that there are false saviors. People who are claiming, hey, forget Jesus. I've got a better way. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That's what he predicted. How about wars and rumors of wars? How about famines and earthquakes and other kind of outright persecution of people who believe all over the world? It's ratcheting up. It's getting worse. And in the middle of this, Jesus says a line once that he says over and over and over in Revelation as he speaks to John in that grand vision that he gave him. He says over and over and over in that, in Revelation, and once here, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he talks about our job again. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you see the responsibility he's putting on us? He hadn't even got to the Great Commission yet, but he's already, even in these prophecies, answering these questions. What do we look for? He's hinting at them. Hey, listen, this is going to be your job. And then this is the same, all of that discourse, the same stuff he said sitting on the Mount of Olives is where he tells the story in Matthew 25 about the 10 virgins. Five of them get into the wedding, five don't because five didn't do their job or think it through. It's where he tells the story of the talents. Almost everybody has ever heard any stories Jesus told knows the story of the talents. The rich man leaves people in charge of using his money wisely. One person does not, the other two do. Comes back, punishes the one who did not, rewards the one who do. Do you see the sense of responsibility? And then then same discourse, same thing, same day, he tells an extended metaphor about a shepherd coming and separating sheep from goats. He says, that's what it's going to be like. He just straight up calls him. He's not saying a certain man or a certain rich man or a certain bridegroom. He's saying, when I come back, it's going to look like this. I think it's significant that the sheep and the goats are all just as surprised as everybody else is. They all think they're all going to make it. The sheep don't think that they're going to make it and the goats won't. The goats are pretty sure they're on their way. But Jesus knows. And and again, it's not a passage that's talking about earning your salvation. But the sheep are the ones who actually lived out the commands of Jesus. They're actually caring for the hungry and those who need clothes and those who need shelter etc. They're actually doing the things he'd asked them to do. And once again, we see this sense of responsibility. While I'm gone, you're supposed to be preparing the way for the Lord. We're supposed to be preparing the way for the Lord. The first time you see the Mount of Olives actually mentioned in the Bible is in 2 Samuel chapter 15. King David has been temporarily dethroned by Absalom, his son, in a big rebellion. And as he's leaving Jerusalem and walking out through the gate that Jesus would later walk into and out of several times, he's walking out through that gate and they say, hey, you want to take the Ark of the Covenant with you, don't you? And he says, no, that needs to stay here. Basically, he's saying, this is something I have to do alone. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, 
barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. This was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus was infinitely better person than David in every possible way that he could be. But there were hints in that story back then. The next time that Jesus goes up the Mount of Olives in the story is when he goes to pray right before he's arrested. But before we get there, I just want to say this is the other thing that I really see in all of this that applies to us. The first was we prepare the way for the Lord. The second is we choose God's will no matter the cost. The whole, all of that discourse had that kind of an idea in it. And now Jesus starts to demonstrate it more clearly than even he had up up to that point. He shows us exactly what that looks like. To choose God's will no matter the cost requires relentless prayer. So you have strength from God himself. It requires a lot of hard work. It requires 100% commitment to the king and his kingdom. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this and at the deep dive into the gospels, we went a lot deeper into it. But it's pretty significant when for, because all the gospels were written for different reasons and for different audiences. It's a big deal if they tell the same story. It's not a problem if they don't. But it's very significant when three out of four tell the same story. When all four tell the same story, you better pay attention. That must be a really big one. And all four gospels tell us about Jesus's last night. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell it pretty close to the same way again, like they did the other one, because each thing is significant. John gives us chapter after chapter of background information. He's the one that tells us about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and all the things he said and all the things he prayed over them over the course of that night. But then all three continue the story and they leave wherever the the upper room was in Jerusalem and they head up the Mount of Olives again. Matthew and Mark both say within a couple of words something like this. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and then they went to a place called Gethsemane. John says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, that runs through the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Luke, again, the historian, the details guy that interviewed a whole bunch of people and then the Holy Spirit helped him congeal it into his version. He gives us a little bit more tidbit, one more little tidbit. He says, he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. In other words, this is something Jesus did all the time. Whenever he was near Jerusalem, he was always going out there to pray. This was one of his spots. He came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This moment, I believe more than any other, shows us what it looks like 
that Jesus was incarnated, that Jesus was fully God and also fully human at the same time. He'd helped make this plan. He'd made it clear exactly what was going to happen just within that last several weeks. He knew exactly what he was on board. It was his will too. And yet at the same time, the human part of Jesus is saying, I can't do this. God, if there's any other way, he knows there's no other way. But if there is, if there could be any other way, let this cut. And yet in that moment when he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I believe that's actually where the battle got won. That moment was where all of the human side of him just got shut down for a while. And the God, the Messiah side of him was put 100% in charge. I don't think he stopped feeling pain. I don't think he stopped feeling fear. Don't mistake anything I'm saying here as he's not still fully human. But this was the moment the choice got locked in. There's no going back. One of the favorite things I ever got to do was go skydiving. It's a, it's, it's a great experience. I recommend it to anybody that's ever interested. It's really fun. But there's several moments where you can back out. The moment you can't back out of is when you actually are in the door of the plane and you fall backwards out into air. There's no going back after that. That's it. You're done. Okay. This was that moment. This is when that happened. How many like to ride roller coasters? Anybody roller coasters? Okay. How many don't? Don't get me near. Okay. There we go. I love all of y'all. All of y'all are great. But the roller coaster people will get this one. Okay. There's, there's several places to back out. There's the long line. You could just kind of chicken out and do the walk of shame out of there. You could. It could happen. But once they get in there and they put one seatbelt on and then the other thing comes down and then I don't know how exactly it happens, but everybody's goes all at once. You know what I'm talking about? That little, there it is. There's no going back. You can scream and you can protest and you can do whatever. Oh, I've got to change my... You're going on the ride. <laughs> and that's exactly what... The, that's what was happening here. It's it, the, the suffering, every moment of the suffering mattered. Every moment he was dead mattered. It, the, the resurrection mattered. I'm not saying none of that matters. The whole thing was just this prayer. But that's where it all got locked in. Does this make... Can you get this? Hold on to it. Somebody told me to stop saying, does this make sense? I'm working on it. <laughs> and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know about you, but I, I've experienced this, not so much the literal angel. I know some people have I would like that, God, you know, if you ever want to, that'd be great. But you, what, what we do experience over and over is that peace that passes understanding in those moments. When you make that choice and you lock it in 100%, something, God does something. The agony doesn't stop. The process doesn't stop. The suffering doesn't stop. Sometimes it does, but not about the stuff that's locked in. Again, this all leads up to Jesus Christ himself. It's all, and even this journey that we've been on, that's, this, it's all about him. And then 
after he not only gave us the whole Old Testament to lead up to him, then he lives this life and teaches these teachings to show us exactly what he wants. And he teaches us to do the stuff that he did. Here's that responsibility again. Everything that he did, he taught us to do. And he even said, like, love one another as I have loved you. Pray like this. Does this sound familiar? He was constantly sending us to be able to do that. I'd like you to pray the prayer he taught us with me this morning. The screen is up there. If you haven't memorized, I love that. You can say it quietly in any version you want, but there's power for us to say all the words at the same time. So just, that's up there, but do what you gotta do. But here's all I'm asking, pray it. Don't just read the words. Actually, let's say this to God together. You can join in at home as well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He did once and for all deliver us from evil, but there's still that constant going back to him. Just like the mountain thing we've said over and over, there's the journey up, there's that moment of clarity at the top, there's the journey down, and then there's everything that comes next. And Jesus on the cross took care of so much. Jesus in the, coming out of the grave did so much that only needed to be done once. But then there's the journey. And that's where we keep praying those prayers. Next week, we're going to wrap up this whole peak thing with the story of the cross and the empty tomb and the mountains involved in there. But this morning, we're going to skip ahead to one more story about the Mount of Olives. I think you guys, spoiler alert, you know how this ends already, right? Okay, so we're going to go ahead and go there. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We know from other, other accounts, and Luke especially tells us it was the Mount of Olives. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Once again, we see them put in details nobody would put in if you were trying to create a fake religion. If you wanted to be the hero of this new religion and the new leaders that everybody's going to trust... You're not going to put that kind of stuff in there. It's just, it's what happened. Even at that moment, even with all they'd seen. But Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then one of them speaks up. I'm guessing Peter, but he's not named. One of them says, so Lord, is is this when you're going to begin your kingdom? Maybe they were just that dense. I personally, after having studied this more and more in just the last year or so, I I think they they were expecting this is the Zechariah 14 thing. I think they're explaining, hey, here we are on the Mount of Olives. There's only one more thing the Messiah does. This mountain's going to split. We're going to walk down through, up through those gates. This is at that time. I, I, I think maybe I'm trying to give them a little more credit than I used to. 
I don't know. I won't know till heaven for sure. But maybe they were thinking Zechariah 14. But Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time of the day. It's not for you to know when that's going to happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He even gives them a battle plan. Start where you are and work out. Methodically, cross all those barriers as you go. And when he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went... Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And it's this, that right there, and Zechariah 14, and several other people, that several other places in the Bible, people squint out a little bit and say, I think he's, when he does appear, it's going to be over the Mount of Olives. What's very, 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 very clear from Jesus himself in that whole Olivet Discourse is that everybody's going to know. This is not going to be a secret. When Jesus comes back, we're all going to know. So it won't really matter if he's physically above the Mount of Olives. When all of the dead in Christ rise first, we're going to know, right? When we rise to meet him in the air, we're going to know. When all the other stuff starts happening, we're going to (laughs) know. Does that make sense? I said it. There it was. (laughs) But are you catching this vision? Can you see how amazing this is going to be? So what do we do about it? Well, We do the stuff we've been talking about here, what Jesus taught us to do, what he commanded us to do. The Great Commission is something we come back to over and over and over again. This is no exception, but I'd like you to say it the way it's written down here today with me. Now, one more time, let me remind you what this means. When we say in a moment, when we say we prepare the way for the Lord, what we're saying is by our words, by our songs, by our prayers, by the things we do, Day after day after day, at home, at work, alone, in small groups, at church, anywhere we are, we are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. We are inviting people to join us on this journey. We are humbling ourselves before him. We are praising him and telling him how amazing he is. And again, constantly inviting people to join us. We are preparing the way for Christ's return. But let's say this together. We prepare the way for the Lord. One more time, let me remind you what this second one means. I need you to say this one out loud as well. To choose God's will no matter the cost is to lock it in. It's a once and for all say, I don't care. I don't care if I die. I'm going to do this. This is God's will. We're going to make this happen. And part of what you're committing to is relentless prayer because the journey continues The stuff still happens. That's just the moment you locked in. That's the moment you jumped out of the plane. That's the moment you heard that chunk on the roller coaster. You still got to ride the ride. You still got to fall till you hit. Are you with me? Say it with me. We choose God's will no matter the cost. And specifically here at Morrison Hill Christian Church, this is how we break it down and how we're asking 
each one of you and asking you to hold all of us at, as the staff and the other leaders accountable. This is what we're about. This is how we try to do this specifically. We help people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus Christ. I'm going to unpack those, those words really quickly, and then I want you to say it out loud with me one more time. So you're going to say this with me as well. We means all of us. That's Morrison Hill. That's all the groups. That's all the individuals. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. We, not just the professional Christians, we. We help people. That is, we don't try to force people. We don't scream at people. We don't yell at people. We don't judge people. We don't exclude people. We invite people, but we also tangibly help them. We say, hey, there's something more. We're inviting you into this. There is a real Messiah, a real savior. His name is Jesus. Come follow him with us. Join the celebration. Join the parade. Come with us. Let me help. We help People, and that's all people. Everybody needs Jesus. And however they are when they first show up, that's just like however you were when you first showed up. We want everybody here, and then all of us are going to change. That's what become means. We help people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus. There's a change involved. That's part of the gospel. That's what Jesus had been telling us through all those mountain stories and countless other stories and countless other teaching passages and stories he told. That's what Jesus had been telling us all along. Come as you are and then be changed to be like him. That's the dream for every single one of us. So we help people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus. Fully devoted means you made that 100% commitment. You said, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. I'm going to spend the rest of my life preparing the way for the Lord. And if you've locked that in, you're fully devoted. And fully equipped means we do the other part of the Great Commission where we teach one another with words and with example, with songs, with prayers, by working together, by being patient with one another, by forgiveness, by all the different things that we do. We help each other become what we need to. We we help each other observe or obey all the things Jesus commanded. We help people come to Christ for the first time, baptize them. We help them encounter the Holy Spirit to come and live in them. And all of that means we help people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus Christ. Would you say it with me? And, and, and no, nobody look at anybody else. Don't judge anybody. Don't say it if you don't mean it. This is, this is a statement of this is who I am. This is what I do. If you mean it, say it with me. We help people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That was a lot. Might have even been all. At the end of every service, we always give a chance for you to make a choice in the direction of Jesus every single time. It's not just a script we follow. It's not something that we find in the Bible that you, you, can't, lock, you can't unlock the doors. <laughs> I mean, they're not even locked. I'm telling you, that's not something we get verbatim out of the Bible, okay? 
But we want you to make a choice in the direction of Jesus. We're trying to empower you to do that. And I'm pretty sure Jesus is telling you something. He's telling me something this morning. That's why there's always on that study guide, there's always a place where it says, Lord, I will. This morning, I'd love for you to take just a moment and write something down there. Or you could write it on your arm or you can put it in your phone. I don't care. But there's got to be some very specific way that God is calling you to prepare the way for him more than you already are. To finally give him something that you've been holding on to. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to choose you no matter the cost. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to trust you about that. I don't know what it is for you, but that thing, would you lay it down? Would you have a little Gethsemane moment? And if this isn't, if you're not comfortable doing that in public, would you take this with you and do it at home as soon as you get home? But we're going to make available a mountaintop moment here. If you'd like to make your decision public, just come right down there. If you just want private prayer, go to the back. But as we stand, as we sing, would you make that step? Would you lock that in? Would you fall out of the airplane? Would you hear this little chukunk and ride the ride? Let the Holy Spirit take you where he needs to take you this morning. Do what you need to do.